The Baggies Podcast, giving you the latest news, views and opinions on all things Albion. Now available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hello Baggies fans, welcome to another episode of The Baggies Podcast. It's episode 35 today. It's a, it's a bit of a milestone, I suppose, but this is an absolute corker of an episode, if you, if you will. The first part of the episode is me talking about the match uh, against Newcastle and then a little bit of a preview towards the game against Crystal Palace next week. That's the down bit, but then we go to an all-time high as we welcome, in part two of the episode, Richard Sneets, West Bromwich Albion club legend, to the podcast. We chat. We chatted about a week ago or so. Uh, about his time at the Albion, his thoughts on the current squad as well. So yeah, this is going to be an interesting interview. Hopefully you all enjoy and hopefully you're all going to stick around for more episodes because there's more, plenty more from where that came from. But yes, Richard Sneaks joins me on the podcast in part two. But first, you got to, you gotta, well, unless you fancy stick, skipping ahead, but I wouldn't advise it. you got to listen to me for just a few minutes uh, about the match recently. But if you're new around here, make sure you're following the podcast, subscribing to the podcast, doing whatever you can to support us. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, even leave us a lovely review on Apple Podcasts. That would be lovely if you were to do that. You can just get, give us a, a one star and say how bad we are, or maybe just give us five stars and say how good you think we are. Either one. Either one works. Just let me know what you think. But yes, Richard Sneaks joins us in part two. But before that, let's get straight into some match reaction from the Newcastle game. Yeah, of course, that game at Newcastle, what a, oh, a frustrating affair. I mean, the one against Everton, if you want to watch my re- match reaction to that, I posted a post-match match reaction video on YouTube. If you want to just go and listen to that, just go and check out my YouTube channel and you can listen to what my thoughts on that. In terms of Newcastle, oh, it's just so frustrating, such a frustrating draw. You just wanted to get some of the players and just squeak, just like shake them and tell them to get on with it. You, you know, you need to win this game. It didn't. I, I get. I think they were probably tired, to be honest. But that's when you need substitutes coming in. I mean, it's just such a frustrating affair. We had tra- a couple of chances in front of goal, not too many, to be honest, not loads. But for me, you got to be throwing the kitchen sink at that game. You've got to be throwing all hands to the pump in the attacking third, and I don't think we were. Whether that's down to the manager, I think it probably is down to the manager in that case. But then I think the players also need to probably step out of their comfort zones that the managers put them in. And I mean, that's probably a big ask, to getting them to step away from not what the managers have. Just go for it. You know the severity the severity of the result in that game. And I didn't think to uh, act upon it. But yes, a very frustrating affair against Newcastle, in my opinion. I just think we could have done so much more and we could have really thrown a bit more at it. I think everybody was really tired from midweek, but how we didn't make a substitute until the 84th minute, I think that's personally Big Sam's fault. I think he got things really wrong there. In about 60 minutes, you should be looking and saying, we haven't got a goal yet, fair enough, you know, we've had a go, but now people are looking tired and they're looking really jaded. We need to get people off, we need to put some fresh legs on. They might not be as good as, you know, the fresh legs might not be as good as the, you know, players on the pitch, but at least they're fresh legs and at least they're going to bring something else to the game and, you know, just give us something a bit more uh, energy and, and pace. In terms of the lineup, we went for uh, an unchanged one from midweek, which I guess you sort of had, sort of could have, you know, could have got around, but had to sort of do in the end because of the way that this is such a this is such a must-win game for us. We went for Johnston in goal, Furlong, O'Shea, Bartley, Townsend, Jokerslu holding the midfield, Pereira, Gallagher, Maitland-Niles, and Phillips in the front four behind Diagne. Um, it's unchanged, as I said. If we go through the lineup, and I'll just tell you sort of my player ratings in terms of um, Johnston. I thought he made a couple of really good saves. I think he had to make one from I think 
probably I think it was from Willock. I think he made one from Joel Linton as well. Um, yeah, so it was it was a difficult game for for Johnston. I mean, he didn't the back four played really well. I don't think they could have done much more about anything that happened in that game. I think it was the th- the final third quality that was really causing the problems for us. Furlong played uh, okay. I think I don't think he was quite as good as Townsend, who I thought was exceptional today. By the way, thought he really played well. Uh, whipped some nice crosses into the box. O'Shea in the back, middle of the back four got absolutely left in left running through treacle in the first half by Joel Linton. Uh, Carl Bartley, in terms of the centre-back next to him, I thought he was really good, made a sort of goal-saving tackle, actually, uh, midway through the game as they looked to sort of pass it across the goal and uh, make an opportunity, which is where that O'Shea got left in treacle, actually. But they tried to pass it across, and Bartley made a really good interception, uh, intercepting tackle. Jokoslu, oh, he's, he's just far too good for us. I mean, I don't know what he's doing. I... I I don't feel bad for him because obviously he's chosen to come here and knows the situation, but somebody should have noticed that he's such a great player before us, surely. Somebody, nobody's trying to sign him. I'm really, I, nobody was trying to sign him in January. I'm really confused. He could, he could be playing easily European football next season. Europa League, I'd love to see him back, but he won't be coming down to the championship with us, I'm afraid. He will, he'll be playing top 10 Premier League football, should be playing top 10 Premier League football. I don't think he gets into any of the top six teams but I think I mean the current top six in the league but I think he should be playing up there in the top half certainly absolutely phenomenal again just essential to the game the only person in that game who looked to have a bit of quality on them I mean he's not the player who's going to make defense splitting balls I'm sure we're all aware of that by now but he's certainly the player who can just have a bit of composure in the midfield a bit of intelligence I think it's just fantastic to see him and thank God we get to see him for another couple of months. At least that brings us a little bit of joy. Pereira, oh my! I, I, you won't need me to tell you that he wasn't great. He, he wasn't great in the Everton game. wasn't great in this one. I, I just thought he he really lacked his creative spark. The final ball just wasn't there for us today. And I think when he goes missing, it's clear that the rest of the attacking third actually does as well. I think that's sort of testament to what's been going on. But yeah, Pereira not on it today, not on it again today. I, I don't. Yeah, I think a lot of fans have been a bit over dramatic about his performance. I think a lot of fans have been going, "Oh no, Pereira, he's, he's you know he's he's finished. He, you know we need to sell him. He's not good enough for us anymore." He just had a couple of bad games. I'd still keep the faith with him, of course, um, but he's certainly not not been hitting the heights that he has been, and that's quite disappointing to see. Gallagher ran himself ragged. It's just. You know, that player, he's just always running, always working hard, always putting a shift in. Not the best technically and, and quality-like, but still will give you 100% for your team. Maitland-Niles, he's becoming a bit of a confusing player for me. I, I like him. I like the way he plays. I like he adds a bit of composure alongside Gallagher because Gallagher's really erratic and just runs everywhere. So Maitland-Niles, I think, likes to, I think it's good to see him having some composure, but some of the balls he picks are just a bit odd. So like, there's an obvious pass out wide, but he'll try and thread the pass through the eye of the needle, and then it will just go all wrong. I just, I think sometimes he makes the wrong. I think it's decision making essentially. I think he does complement Gallagher really well, and obviously with Jokicli behind him, that's a Premier League midfield three in my opinion. Phillips out wide wasn't wasn't bad again. I thought I didn't think he was bad in midweek actually, but I thought he was quite good today. Yeah, I thought he put in some really good crosses. We saw him running at people. I mean, crikey me, it was like. It was really good to see from Phillips, to be honest. Dianya up front, I feel for him, but his finishing is not there, I don't think. I think his hold-up play, his general link-up play, I think that's ob- that's clearly clearly a key aspect of his game, which is actually quite the opposite of what I 
uh, if you if you watched a video that I did on the YouTube channel a few months ago when he signed, or a couple of weeks ago, months ago, whatever it was, I actually spoke about how I, I noticed from the stats and from what Galatasaray fans were telling me, said that he'll do nothing else for you, but he'll score. And actually, he's doing everything else for us but score. So that kind of contradicts what I originally analysed from him, that he doesn't, he wasn't winning many aerial duels in, in, in Turkey. He wasn't particularly linking up the play well, but he was getting the goals. However, it's completely the opposite. Whether that's Sam's management, whether that's how he's worked things out. Yeah, basically, that's that's what I've got to say about this team. But yeah, Diagne, his finishing wasn't there. But as far as, far as team performances go, it's, it's an OK one, to be honest. It wasn't the worst I've seen us play in, in quite a while. I think the chances created, Phillips had a guilt edge chance he should have finished off. But apart from that, did we create much in the game? I think we lack a bit of... Um, of creativity in, in my opinion in terms of um in terms of the um what do i mean the like the the variety in our attacking play it just seems the same cross over and over again just hoping it's going to fall down to somebody i get that's what we've got i guess we've got a, a, an aerial presence in the in the box to try and aim at but i think sometimes you need to be a bit smarter they just newcastle that the centre backs had great games because you just kept throwing the same crosses at them. They just had to stand in the same place every time, knowing full well that nobody was going to touch them, and just head the ball away every time. In terms of, um, yeah, I just think we lacked a lot of variety. I think nobody, you know, really shined today. Uh, I think Pereira, when you need him to shine the most, that was just today. I think Everton, you can let that go. You can let that go. You weren't, you weren't expected to win that one, but you. It, well, not expected to win this one, but you needed to win this one, and you haven't. So that, that in my accounts, is us. Is, is the book closed for me in terms of survival unless you go on some sort of mad winning run which I am holding out absolutely no hope for you can't win that game you can't win any to be honest you can't win the, the amount that you need I think that game's crying out to be won it's crying out to somebody to take it to the, by the scruff of the neck and nobody did in my opinion I don't think anybody did so as your guys thoughts let's hear what you thought about the game firstly let's get our man of the match out of the way let's get who you thought that, uh, played the best in this particular game I mean there's a few candidates. I gave you the candidates of Jokoslu, Bartley, Gallagher and Jokoslu. You went for Jokoslu at 74%. I thought he played uh, really well. It's just composed in the midfield. How we've ended up getting in him is completely ridiculous. I can't believe he even agreed to come near us. But yeah, played really well. Uh, Craig says, nobody really shined today. Nowhere near that enough desire to win a game like that. And I put no urgency or quality whatsoever. It actually reminded me of a lot of the Huddersfield game last season, where you, the game's crying out for somebody to take the game to to you, uh, and you need to ju you need to just pick up a result, no matter what way you do it, and you need to keep throwing the kitchen sink at it, and we didn't, and we just sort of sat back and we were sort of like, should we have a little go now, should we have a little go with five minutes to go? The substitutes Allardyce bought on, I mean, Grant, I can half get, but Robinson, what's he doing? I, I, what's he been doing in training? Has he been like, punching slam it, Sam in the face all, all, all training session? Is that what he's been doing? Must hate him, seriously. Honestly, Robinson, how he's not getting in that team or at least making a substitute appearance is ridiculous to me. I think he'd at least add something more direct. But Carnu coming on for Diagne. I understand Diagne had to come off. He was he was shattered. Shattered the boy was. But he needed you know, he needed some help, to be honest. Diagne needed Robinson running around and needed somebody to run around. I think Grant coming on wasn't so bad. I think just the Robinson one, I think, you know, how you could even think about leaving him out, but you know, I think it's just, I think the club, I don't think it's Allardyce's fault. I think the tactics bit today were a little off, but I think he's still got us playing some reasonable 
a reasonable way and we're still progressing as a team sort of but I think I think the recruitment behind the scenes has got to look got to have a look at at under 18 got beaten 7-1 by Crystal Palace today that's ridiculous I mean of all the things I thought we'd have is that our academy would be really good and we've got players coming through that are at least going to put things straight if we find ourselves in a bit of a mess but there's not that anymore players are evacuating this club because of the way that the you know the way that the academy's been, the way that people are just shipping players out. You know, there's no clear vision for the club. Academy players are, are running. You know, there's lots, so many players. I know Morgan Rogers moved to Man City, but Louis Barry moving to Barcelona. I know they're big clubs, but surely if you've got, you know, if you've got some a real structure in place that's going to say you're going to be in my first team plans over the next couple of seasons, then they're not going to, they're not going to have it. You know, they're not going to want to leave, but. There's just no structure in the club. I don't know what the clear vision is. There's no clear vision. I don't know what the vision is at the moment at the club. Are we going to go forward? Are we going to try and come back straight up? Are we going to stick with Sam? Are we going to not stick with Sam? Are we going to find somebody else? Are we going to revert playing styles again? Because we keep changing the playing style and we keep changing the personnel in the squad, bringing in players to suit that style, and then we end up having to shift them, ship them out again. It's a real bad cycle for the club to be in. Look at Brentford, look at Norwich, look at the way that they're setting their team up. They're, they're sticking with the same style. They know what they want. They know the end goal. It might take them a bit of time to reach it, but they certainly are throwing all the guns at that particular style. They're not thinking as soon as Daniel Fark got them relegated, bottom of the league, probably, you know, even though they played some nice football, probably the worst team in the league that season. Um, they weren't saying, Daniel Fark, out you get, you know, that's you done, you know, you got us relegated now. They're keeping faith because they know that he's got the capability to build on that. They've got an ethos that they follow, but we don't. We just keep teetering between the same, same uh, different philosophies. That we teeter between Allardyce, we teeter between Billich, we teeter between Pulis, we teeter between Pardew. It's just... A silly, silly way to do things. We need a clear vision next season, and I want to hear it. I want to know what it is. I want to know from people who are inside the club what this vision is, because I'm not seeing one at the moment, unfortunately. I think it just stinks of disorganisation and lack of care for the club, in my opinion. But that's my thoughts on the current situation at the club. And of course, you guys have been sending your thoughts in. Let's just read out this one tweet from Andy Paul, who says, um, he has said, at the Baggies pod, if we get to a point of not being able to survive, do we drop all the loan players that won't be with us next season and develop the players we have ready for the championship? What's the point of developing developing other players from other clubs or um, rather than our own? So, in answer to that, I said, yeah, that's a fair point. I, I just think as long as we can survive mathematically, we have to play the best players. Yeah, I, I stand by that. But I think... After this, after we get relegated, because it's coming, it's coming. It's just it's like the Grim Reaper. It's just waiting at the door for us. To be honest, it we just keep evading it slightly every week. But I think if we, as soon as we're relegated, I think you either need to stick with Sam. If that's your decision, fair enough. I'll get behind. I'll get behind it. He's not that bad of a manager, but I think he's he's going to have a challenge to stay. I don't, I don't think he'll want to stay with this. Be, be it, but that's what he wants to do. That's what he'll do. But then once you've decided. You need to say to Sam, right, Conor Gallagher, or, or Conor Gallagher could be here next season, I don't know. But Maitland-Niles is not going to be here with, with us this season. Probably Jokoslu. I want to see Jokoslu play. I, I like him. But if you say, to, you know, you think about Maitland-Niles, do you think, well, I'm sorry, mate, but you're not going to be, you know, you're not in my plans next season. You need to just prepare for next season, I suppose is what I'm saying. Get players like Edwards in. Maybe play somebody like, um, you know, the youngsters in the academy. 
give Chait Diaby a go. Maybe just just try something different. You know, the, the players that aren't going to be with us this season are no use to us once we're relegated. They were here to keep us up, and not, not they haven't failed. I think the club has failed as a whole, to be honest. But that's my thoughts on the situation at the club and, of course, the Newcastle game today. But from one game to another, it's Crystal Palace next week. You can find a full match preview coming later in the week on the pod, uh, on the podcast YouTube channel. But just my f- original thoughts just after the Newcastle game ahead of this Crystal Palace game, I think it's going to be a really difficult one. I think we need to go and pick up three points. There's no excuse for not not putting in a really good performance next week. You're still in it, supposedly. I mean, it's looking further and further away with every game that's just pittering on by. I think we need to get a win, but I think Palace are decent team. I'm obviously, they're just about to play Spurs as I'm recording this, so you'll know the result of that by then, and you'll know whether they're coming in in poor form or bad f- or good form after just rolling over Spurs or something. Hoping they don't. I've got Kane and Son in my fantasy team, but I think Crystal Palace, they just need to, you know, Crystal Palace are safe, but I think West Brom need to start to look a bit um, more positively at things. I think they need to either need to think that we're going down, so let's play some nice, you know, younger players who are going to perhaps keep us up, or do you say, Right, we're throwing all guns at it. We need to play the better way and try and get wins out of things. I, don't, I just don't think today we got things right at all. Whether that's Sam's fault, whether that's anybody else's fault, but they were absolutely shattered. I don't think Sam can complain about game time if he's not bringing on anybody. Uh, sorry, game scheduling if there's nobody coming on until the 84th minute. I think that was ridiculous. But I think the Premier League, you know, they were wrong to schedule that game right in the middle of the week, midweek just to cater for Everton's cup run. It's not our fault that they're on a cup run. I just think that I hope you know this this season is is going to be just over within the next few games. I think we'll probably go and draw nil nil at Crystal Palace or one one at Crystal Palace, and then after that, I think that's all your winnable games. That that run of four winnable games that you've managed so far, you've managed five out of a nine points available, which doesn't sound so bad. Normal form, that's normal circumstances, that's good. But when you're about to go down, I don't think it is. But yes, that's my thoughts on Crystal Palace next week. I'm going to go for a 1-1 prediction. I think that's just a safe way to play it. But yeah, if you want to go and check out the match preview for that, it'll be on the YouTube channel over the next few days. However, from some bad news to some good news, we're welcoming Richard Sneaks, West Bramage Avenue, club legend, cult hero, whatever you want to call him. He's joining me on the podcast where he did. It was before the Brighton game. So if you hear us talking about the Brighton game, I wasn't sure exactly when I was going to put this out, but just a disclaimer, if you hear that, just ignore it. You know, just... Yeah, if if because I think we mentioned the Brighton game, how it's a must win, which which we did win. But of course, you'll know that now. But yeah, just a disclaimer: that this was recorded the day before the Brighton game. I think it was a Friday. So yeah, if you hear that, just a disclaimer: that's the case. Uh, yeah, but Richard, very big thank you to him to, for coming on the podcast. It was a real pleasure to speak to him, and hopefully, you learn a bit more. He's got some interesting stories to tell in this particular interview. But if you are enjoying the podcast and you want to hear more from Richard Sneaks or any other club club players, comment who you'd like to see as a guest below. I'd love to hear your thoughts however if you're new around it make sure you're subscribing and following because there's another big guest coming next week not but but you know there's another big guest coming next week and hopefully you can find um more details on that uh, details on that on my twitter page at the baggies pod or at louis ben underscore feel free to follow me either on them but yes here is my chat with richard sneeze i once again a huge thank you to him for coming on it's a pleasure having him here we go on this week's episode of the Baggies podcast, we welcome a very, very special guest. We have former West Bromwich Albion player Richard Sneaks on the podcast. Richard, how are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. So you obviously spent a large part of your career at the Albion. If we take a, a look back uh, towards the start of your career and how things sort of 
took off for you in Holland. You started in the academy at Ajax, which is, has produced so many fantastic talents. You know, Johan Cruyff, Dennis Bergkamp, just to name a couple. What was the whole academy experience like at Ajax? It's it's uh, it's unbelievable. It it, it they well, you know, everybody says they've re revolutionised football. Johan Cruyff revolutionised football, but. You know, the way the academies work now, you know, Ajax were probably, you know, the prototype of that. I, I started playing when I was uh, when I was eight years old. Couldn't really uh, play any earlier. In Holland, it works a little bit different. You've got, it goes over two age groups. So if you, uh, now it's six to eight, they start at six. So you'll play six to eight year old, which are called F juniors and so forth, your E juniors. So 16 to 18s, under 18s. A juniors. So uh, when I started, it was the age eight to ten. So I was in the E juniors, and uh, you can't start till you get eight. So on the 30th of October, uh, 1982. No, not 1982. See, maths. I was good at maths. So <laughs> 78. Yeah, 78. I could uh, I could start start playing. So uh, uh, the back of my mum's bike. She couldn't drive a car. My father couldn't drive. So, um, so yeah, I'd uh, I'd had these these Puma Johan Cruyffs as a six year old, yeah. and uh, when I was eight on my birthday, I was going to get some new football boots. So uh, yeah, really excited. Finally, starting to join my new amateur club called DWS, which if you Google it, was a very very famous uh, club. Champions of Holland in the in the sixties. Uh, produced lots of good players like Ruth Gullit, uh, Frank Rijkaard, uh, and so to speak. Uh, and then they amalgamated with uh, with two other clubs to form FC Amsterdam in the, in 1972. So uh, yeah, on the 30th of October uh, 1976, it is actually because I was eight. Uh, my mum took me on the back of a bike, you know, to uh, to go to my first football game. Opened up my, my box with my new football boots, expecting Adidas. I don't think Nike existed then, or mm -hmm. some Pumas. And they were just plain black Chinese boots with red laces. So uh, to say I was uh, disappointed, I think, was an, uh, was an understatement. John Omer always says that they were the wrong ones. But, you know, I, I, don't, really get, <laughs> I don't really get the joke myself. But, uh, but yeah, so, so that's where it started. Uh, played up front which you would call now a, a, a number nine, uh, was very quick, uh, quite, quite skillful. So I scored a lot of goals. Um, and then at the, the age of 14, I would have been a uh, C junior by then, uh, going into the B juniors. Uh, I got a phone call, not on a mobile, just on the normal turning yeah. dial phone at home. Uh, saying that I'd been scouted, would I want to come and uh, and play for Ajax? And uh, I wasn't one to, to to go on my own, so I, I assumed that they had asked my uh, one of my better better friends as well. So I rang him, and they had asked him to join as well. So I said, "Well, shall we just go?" So we we went there, and um, you know, it, it, it was it was it was just phenomenal. It's uh, it was at the old stadium, but you know, the new stadium. It's it's not a replica of it, but the way they've structured the youth system. You know, everything is, is together. The first team train where the youth train, you know, so it, it, it gives you that bonds, that, that, that harmony, that, that family feeling. And uh, like I said, from the age of 14, I went there um, training every day. So after, after school, I had to catch, catch the tram. Um, 
and you know go to the club and then we had to go upstairs first you had to go into the stadium upstairs and had three teachers which was unheard of you know no other club had this you had to show your diary see what you had to do for the next day and you know you had to do your homework before you uh, before you were allowed to train because they knew that but even back then that you know a uh, an academic career was as important as as being a, a professional footballer and that if you didn't make it you ha always had to have something to fall back on so uh, so yeah that's um, that's how how that all started and you know I uh, I made my debut as a as a 16 year old who who was the the youngest ever player to to play in the first team not anymore you know there's I think there's a couple that have been younger ever since but you know, when you, uh, I, you know what, sometimes I don't even think it's it's sunk in. You know, I'm, I'm quite laid back about these sort of things. It's it's other people who bring it up every now and then. And, and you know, it, it must have been something, you know, very unrealistic as a 16-year-old to make your, your debut for, for a club that were, you know, the, the front runners of how Man City play, how, how Barcelona play. And uh, and to, to play in that team, you know, who, who ruled the 70s, you know, the Champions League, you know, in, in 1970, 71, 72 and 74, I think, you know, with Cruyff as the manager. It, it was, it, it's, you know, it's just something that you, you, you probably, you know, it doesn't always sink in. But, you know, now you start to think about it. It, it, it was unreal, you know, unreal experience. And, uh, you know, something that, that you, you'll have to treasure. Yeah, yeah, they definitely cer certainly have a fantastic academy o o over over in uh, Ajax there because they've produced numerous, numerous fantastic talents. And you went on actually to play in Holland for a further ten years after your debut. I actually played for Volendam and for Tuna Sittard, yes. I think, uh, in the Netherlands. How was that whole experience playing playing in the Netherlands for ten years? How was that? Yeah, it was. It was, it was... You know, unbelievable. I made my debut at 16. I played a further three games for the for the for the first team. Then we um, we as I was I was as I said I was I was 17. I was captain of the of the under under 21s, which we called the reserve team, and uh, we won our regional FA Cup. You know, the amateur cup. And if you won that, you were allowed to play in the the, the Dutch uh, FA Cup, so to speak. So, which was unheard of, you know, that, that, that had never happened before. And, um, and we got to the semi-final. We beat two, two Premier League te uh, three Premier League teams on the way. Uh, and, you know, I, I just got that taste of, of wanting to play first-team football rather than playing on a Tuesday night, you know, in empty stadiums. Yeah. Um, so, I signed a contract and there was a couple of clubs that wanted to, uh, to, to take me. And uh, I decided to go to to Volendam, which was uh, it's it's a little fishing village, about half an hour north of Amsterdam, so I didn't have to travel that that far. So uh, so I played out of the that's 34 games in the season. Played 32 games, uh, scored eight goals in my first season in in the Dutch Premier League, and um, you know then could have could have gone back to to Ajax and and basically not start all over again, but basically be you know a squad player who predominantly as a as an 18-year-old, would, would play in the under-21s, which is under-23s now. And mm -hmm. I just had, it, had a taste for it. And, you know, I, I just wanted to play. I didn't want to wait any longer. And that's why uh, I then got transferred to Fortuna Sittard, you know, which was a whole new experience on its own. You know, living on your own as a 19-year-old when my mum had always 
done uh, done everything for me. And I can remember going to an international tournament in The Hague and, and we got there. And uh, as I said it then, she had forgotten my boots. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it teaches you uh, valuable life lessons uh, sometimes. But uh, in effect, you know, that made me look after my own stuff uh, then. But, you know, to live on your own as a, as a 19-year-old, uh, in your own little flat, you know, having to care for yourself, not being able to cook, and and yeah, it was it was it was very very difficult for the for the first year. You know, not a lot of people that, that looked after me. I drove home every Tuesday after training. You know, it was a two hours drive from from down south up back to Amsterdam, and then I would drive back on on uh, Wednesday evening. And then the second year I was a lot more settled, and uh, yeah, had uh, four happy years at Fortuna Sitter. Yeah, and you obviously that you you mentioned that being such a such a huge challenge, you know, living on your own, being independent, having to do things for yourself. Mo- moving to England must have been quite a, a difficult experience as as, as well. Surely, it, you moved to Bolton in nineteen ninety four. You were brought in by Bruce Rioch, uh, yeah. you know, in in that old I think it was the division division one of the football league. Uh, how was it moving to England? What was that experience like? Well, I don't. I'd just been to Switzerland for a year, so. Uh... We'd moved to Switzerland for a year. We had two young kids. My son, Giorgio, was born there. Um, and he'd only been born for about a month in December. And the club, we, we just didn't make the playoffs. And they said to me, can you move on again? And we'd literally been there four months. That was a little bit of a kick in the teeth. So so I stayed. Um, you know, they, our chairman was always messing with the money and stuff. So came back. Then there was a couple of clubs in, in Switzerland, but I just moved back, so I didn't want to move there. And, uh, you know, I decided I didn't want to go back to, to Fortuna. So we, 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 had, we still had a house there. We moved back. And then my agent rang, and he said, there's, there's a club in England and a club in Spain. So I said, well, you know, there's a very easy choice to make. He said, well, where do you want to go? I said, well, Spain, of course. You know what I mean? You know, it's <laughs> sunshine, sangria, beaches, yeah. paella more do you want? <laughs> he said, uh, no, no, you, you're going to, you're going to bolt. So uh, I've sorted it all out. Um, so yeah, flew to Aberdeen, uh, got the bus, first game, played Dunfermline uh, in Perth, I think it's called. And uh, I just didn't know what hit me. You know, 120 miles an hour, ball was flying everywhere. And the chief scout came up to me, Dixie McNeil, uh, and said, uh, you know, we know you're a good player. We've got to show a lot more. So then we, we played Ross County, 3-1, one, one, I scored two. And then we played Inverness, Caledonian, Thistle. We were then in the, I think, in the second division in Scotland, but both in the Premier League now or in the first division. 1-5-2, uh, and, and I scored one. And, you know, the, the deal was done. Flew back to Holland. I sorted out the transfer fee. And, and came over and um, it, it was brilliant. Bruce was brilliant. Well, he was brilliant to me. You yeah. know, if he, didn't, if he didn't like you, it was difficult. <laughs> it could be yeah. a really difficult time for you. But no, he, he liked me. You know, I had a fantastic first year. Uh, people in Holland said I couldn't have, head the ball. I couldn't tackle. I probably couldn't, you know, as, as people will probably remember. Um, and... Um, and said I would be back within three weeks because I wouldn't be able to cope. I wasn't the sort of player that could play in England. And first year, we uh, we got to the playoffs and we got promotion to the Premier League and we uh, we got to the final of, which was then the Coca-Cola Cup final, the League Cup, you know, yeah. against Liverpool. 
at Wembley. So my first year in English football was, you know, un- unbelievable. You know, just just couldn't have gone any any better. Um, you know, it it was completely different than what I got used to in in Holland. You know, in Holland, if you if if you kick off at three o'clock, you meet at the club for twelve, and there's pieces of paper, which is all different now, of course. Pieces of paper with running lines, with you know, with with passing lines, or how the opposition play, what we've got to do, what we've got to do to stop them, what we've got to do to expose them. And then you come to England, and it's a three o'clock kickoff, and you know, see you at uh, at half one, quarter to two, and then there's a list with fourteen names on the wall. And then uh, next to it, there's there's another three or four names, you know, who pick up from set pieces, yeah. and that was it. And that was literally oh. it. Then everybody would the the ghetto blaster would come on, people would go and have showers, go in the bath, and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> but uh, no, I I I, I really like that side, you know, the laid backness and you know just you know go out and enjoy yourself. Everybody played four four two, so tactically. Mm-hmm. It was make sure you're better than your opponents, you know, and the more are better than their opponents, you know, we've got a bigger chance of winning. And, uh, yeah, football has uh, has changed uh, a lot in the last 20 years mm. with that, in that respect. Uh, and you've, you, play, uh, you mentioned the League Cup final there in, in 1995. You played against a, a fantastic Liverpool side managed by Roy Evans at the time with Steve McManaman, John Barnes. What was that whole... I know, uh, unfortunately, you were on the losing side that day, but what was it like, that entire Cup final experience in the, in the League Cup? This is something that you dream of as a, as a young boy, you know, and, and no matter whether you're English, you're Dutch, you're German, you're French. When I was young, Wembley was the holy grail. You know, that was, I, I would, FA Cup day, I would stay at home and watch it on Belgium television because Dutch television wouldn't show it. And just the Twin Towers and, and walking up. And, you know, that was, that is, I think for, for back then, you know, in, in, in the 70s and the 80s, Wembley was the absolute holy grail of any, uh, you know, aspiring young player. It, no matter where you are in the world, Wembley, that was where you wanted to play. and to you know, to, to experience that a couple of times. I've experienced it as a as a 15-year-old with uh, with the Netherlands under-15s against England under-15s. It wasn't a very good experience, I have to say. Um, you know, I was I was I was uh, a number 10 for Ajax, and uh, our national team coach uh, thought it would be a good option to play me at number two at right back. So yeah, that was the first shock. Then. I nearly got arrested on the bus. Uh, a Bobby stopped the bus and said I'd uh, I'd showed my bum cheeks uh, against the <laughs> the coach window, and uh, so I was I was bricking it, you know, from uh, from day one. And uh, we lost four one, and uh, my opponent, England's left winger, scored three goals. So you know, it's uh, it's uh, something. He then later played for Fortuna Sittard as well after me, and he lives in the same. Uh, village as I do so I come across him still now to this day when we go to the pub so I get reminded of this story you know probably once or twice a year so it's it's uh, it's left a really dark mark you know, yeah. on, uh, on, on, my, on my playing career but that's the first time I played at Wembley um, so it's, it's just you know it's just to experience it you know just just to drive up on the coach the people are just in the streets, seven rows deep, you know, just driving up to Wembley. 
you know, getting into the changing room, walking out of the tunnel, you know, the flags. And uh, it's, it's just, you know, that is something that, that just never goes away. That's something, you know, that you, uh, you, you dream of as a, as a, as a, as a child, you know, and, and, you know, that is, that was probably the pinnacle. You know, I could have probably stopped playing after that and be, you know, extremely happy for, for the rest of my life because, you know, that is what everybody uh, dreams of. And this is the old Wembley, of course. You know what I mean? It's just an unbelievable stadium. It's just something that, you know, you, you've got to have witnessed once in your life. Mm-hmm. And you, you said you could have stopped there, but you, you didn't. And you later in 1996 moved to uh, West Bromwich Albion for four hundred thousand pound, which uh, now doesn't seem doesn't seem particularly like a lot. It seems like a real snip at that sort of price. You were bought in by the manager at the time, who was Alan Buckley. Uh, what were your thoughts when you first joined? First joined West Bromwich Albion? Well, it was it was a really really weird thing because Bruce had left, uh, Colin Todd had taken over with uh, Roy McFarland, uh, and then Ian Porterfield came as as one of the coaches as well. So you know the coaches that I've had in England that the the legends that they are at, at clubs that they played for, you know, was phenomenal. And uh, you still had the three foreigners rule then. Yes, we yeah. had a, a lot of injuries, so I think I only in total only played about twenty times in the in the in the Premier League that season. Um, and uh, I just had to go into Toddy's office the one day, and he he said, you know, there, there's four or five clubs that are interested in you. We've accepted a, a bit. Um, Basically, don't want to see you back. If you come back, you know, you'll, you'll play in the, in, in the, you'll, you'll train with the U team. I want you gone. And I was like, you know, that, that was a completely new thing to me. I'd never experienced that. You know, the English players, you know, of course, from experience knew that that was going on and, you know, they didn't have a problem with it. So, so I thought, well, if that's the way you want to play, then, you know, I'll play it at your game. So I went to watch West Brom against Port Vale. At home, I think it was 1-1. And then I went to watch them in the Anglo-Italian Cup on a Tuesday, and that was against Port Vale as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a week after, he come up to me, what are you doing? I said, oh, I've made my mind up. I want you gone. You've got to go. So it took me two weeks. I just thought I'd pester him a little bit. And uh, I just had seen enough. You know, there was enough quality in, in the team who were 23rd at the time to uh, to, to, to come and join. So... Uh, so yeah, first first game, my wife and all the kids came up. We had a meal, and we all thought, "Hey, this is brilliant." You know what I mean? She never had that meal ever since after that. You know, at the club, but you know, it was a good introduction to uh, to get us over the line. And uh, and yeah, you know, the rest is history. You know, magnificent club, magnificent history. You know, still got lots and lots of friends there. You know, spend a really really happy time there, and uh, and and you know, just very very content to be, you know, part of, part of the history. And I think uh, the, the manager, Alan Buckley, he, he said something when you joined uh, along the lines of, you know, give, give him time, give him, give him time to, to, to get, get things rolling. Don't expect everything straight away. Did that, you know, when he said something like that, was it, was, was that something that spurred you on? Was that something that motivated you to, to kick on in the way you did? No, I didn't even know. I don't think he, he knew, you know, that, uh, that that was, you know, the sort of player that he that he brought in. I think he came and watched me once on a on a Tuesday night. I think I I played for the reserves, and uh, I don't think he realised, you know, what 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 he had brought in. He probably thought he brought in a good player, 
but not you know that the the other attributes that 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 were coming with it and it, it was we just hit it off you know peter butler came in at the same time he got a lot of credit you know has got to be given given to him but you know me andy and bob just just hit it off you know we just knew where each other were they recognized my my runs in behind and uh and yeah it, it was it was just phenomenal you know it's it's things like that don't don't happen very often and uh and when it happens it, it's fantastic but you know, I still get stopped now. I meet people that you know I've never met before, and I even meet people that I've met before. And and you know, to this day, I wouldn't say it embarrasses me, but it is. It, sometimes it's a little, it's a little bit uncomfortable. And English people wouldn't wouldn't probably wouldn't understand this. You know, the 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 adoration, or you know, you saved us that season. And I always say, you know, you don't do things on your own. It makes it doesn't make me uncomfortable, but it's just mm-hmm. I just don't. That, that is just. The, the way that I am, you know, it's 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 a team game. I was part of uh, part in it. Yeah, I scored the goals, which then gets deplored. It's but it's 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 a team game. We did it. We did it together. So uh, so every now and then, it's still you know uncomfortable to listen to when people always say, "Just embrace it." You know what I mean? Why can't you just embrace it? But it's just that's just the way, you know, that I was brought up. My dad just always said to me, "Just be normal." That's crazy enough, you know, and uh, and. That's just the way that I am, you know. Probably a little bit too, too laid back. Uh, but no, it's it, it's great. It's great. You know, I had a, I had a great time there. It was a, it's a great, great club uh, with a, with a great history, you know, which um, sometimes gets forgotten, you know, because we're all in the here and now, and you know, about all the millions and the tens of thousands that everybody's earning, and we we tend to forget about the fans because it's a drop in the ocean, you know, to yeah. compare to the club get in, in, in revenue, but <laughs> they are your history. They are your future. They are your club. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, they, are, they are important. Yeah, absolutely. And you, and you became sort of an overnight sensation really at, at Albion when you joined with the 10 goals in the 13 games that you scored. And it actually led to uh, the fans take, as you said, taking on to you really well. Um, they, yeah. they started wearing wigs in the crowd, didn't they? Uh, they and they started selling them in the club shop. How did you react to that? Seeing everybody <laughs> having your hair at the time. Wish I'd kept one now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know that's why I say it's it, it's oh, it's I, I I I just couldn't understand. That's the part of the, the thing that I that I still after twenty six twenty seven years in England. It's the thing that I don't understand people in Holland yeah when we go to the game especially when 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 the Netherlands when Holland are playing yeah. you can't say Holland Holland you can't say Holland anymore they don't want to be known as Holland have you have you heard yes yes Netherlands Netherlands it's got to be now got to be the Netherlands from now which is difficult because I call it call it Holland when yeah. Holland play everything everything is orange and everybody is so nationalistic it's 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 unbelievable but for the other clubs yeah they wear their shirts and stuff but out on the streets and, you know, it's just, it's not a, not a big deal here. You know, I've been in the company of people who have who've lost relatives, people who have lost their, some of them lost their children, you know, uh, two days before and, 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 and go to a game, you know, just because that's what he would have wanted. And that, 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 is, that is the thing that, that, that I don't understand. You know what I mean? It's it's like a religion. It's like a relief. It's 
yeah. you know, it, it means everything, you know, to, to a lot of people. And, you know, I'm, I'm on a group chat with a lot of West Brom fans mm. and, uh, and when it gets to, to kickoff time, I'm quite laid back. Yeah. I, I want us to do really well, but these people really get anxious, you know, and, mm. and yeah. leading up to it, I'm nervous, you know, days beforehand, the Wolves game was just, oh, I've never, never experienced it. Well, or I have experienced, you know, what it means to people. So, yeah. uh, so it's, um, yeah, it's it's a it's it's still twenty seven years been in England. It's still a weird uh, a weird sensation. I've, I've got to admit to to see how people adore and live for football, you know, day in day out. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see, yeah. you know, and it's a way of life, and it's great. Um, I, I think I'm just a little bit uh, brought up a little bit more laid back. Yeah, and a lot of fans will, of course, as you say, they have that adoration for football, but a lot of fans will have an adoration for you and the goals that you scored at the, at the Albion. You scored a hell of a lot of fantastic goals, a lot of them coming from outside the area, really, fantastic sort of thunderbolt strikes. Is that something that yeah. you practised on a lot? Is that, you know, long-range shooting? Is that something that you've worked on? No, no not at all. You know, I think it's, it's just probably something that, that you try, you know, the amount of balls that have probably ended up in Rosette or on, on Halford Lane, you know, would have probably been, you know, fivefold to, to the goals that are, that are scored. So, you know, it, it's taking a chance. And uh, it's, it's see, even now when I, when I teach younger kids, it's, you know, when you hit the ball, you know, it's going to go in, you know, it's, it's, you're hitting the sweet spot and your body feels it. You know, I say to young kids, don't try and kick the leather off the ball. The more power you try and put in and, and, you know, sometimes it just overpowers and the ball just, just bubbles. You've got to try and, and, and stay, stay relaxed. And, uh, yeah, it's great, I have to say. You know, the feeling of a, of, of a tap-in or, 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 you know, a 25-yarder, you know, it's still a goal. It's still a great sensation. No, it's a sensation that everybody as a footballer wants to feel because that is, that is the pinnacle of, of football playing football is scoring goals you know there's no two ways about it you know I think now there's more uh, importance put on on the people that play around it about assists and stuff whereas when we were playing it was just a guy who scored you know that got really mm. you know all the, all the attention and uh, and yeah you know th there's been some some great goals you know like, like I said you're going to ask a little bit more about what I'm doing now but you mm -hmm. know the, the, the kids at my school you know they uh, is that is that they're all remote learning so oh, my, yeah. my my teaching partner she uh she's put a couple of videos on and the kids go is that miss sneaks is that you you, you look so <laughs> different you look so much different so you know it's and it always shows the leicester goal you know the ball gets stuck in the corner people go out you know and it is it is a special goal that is you know it's something that doesn't happen very often and it was uh it's 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 great to be reminded of it every now and then. Yeah, I was about to. I was actually about to bring up that Leicester goal, but before before you did. But uh, is it would that be your favourite goal at the Albion, or would would there be another one that sticks in your mind a bit better than that one? Yeah, but it's, Charlton at home, you know, was an important goal. Any goal, you know, really that you scored, that that feeling, you know, of the ball hitting the net, and and you know everybody looking at you and. And celebrating, celebrating with your teammates. You know, I can remember tapping against Millwall when at home we won one nil. You know what I mean? I can, mm -hmm. 
imagine, uh, remember, you know, the goal at Derby, I think it was an FA Cup game, and the coach was shouting for me to pass, and I shot, you know, and it just <laughs> flew in off the post. You know, it's, it's um, yeah, of course, you, you've got favourite goals. Um, you know, but yeah, the Leicester is probably the most memorable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think I've ever seen anything like, I don't think we have the stanchion anymore in the corner of the goal. No. In modern football, but certainly seeing, seeing it get stuck there, it, fe- it felt like when I was watching the when I was watching the video of it, it felt like the whole ground sort of froze, and then the camera sort of zooms towards it and goes, "That's still there up there." That is, but yeah, that was certainly a f- phenomenal goal. And how special uh, it was the experience at, at West Brom as a whole? How you know, as a whole club experience? I know you've mentioned the fans, but as a whole club, what was that experience like? Uh, how special was it for you? Uh, it's, it's it's phenomenal. You know, it's it's. To, to be able to be part of, of the history of such an important club in, you know, in, in English football, it, it, it's, it is just phenomenal. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, it's overwhelming. It's, it's great to have been a part of it for, for the best part of almost six years of, of my life. Uh, I've got lifelong friends out of it. You know, uh, I've got uh, people that I'm, I'm friends with now who, you know, see me, for how I am, you know, as, as a person. And, and, and I think that that's important as well. You know, I don't want him to see, to treat me as Richard, you know, the, the ex West Brom player, the footballer, you know, who could do a few things, you know, I want him to see me for, for what I am. And, and it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful club. You know, it is, it is a wonderful club. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, the way things are going, and we'll probably touch upon that a little bit more, you know, a little bit later. You know, is uh, is difficult. You know, for for a lot of people, especially when they can't go and watch it. But also that, I think the fans probably feel more and more that you know they're not important, and that's uh, that's a very sad thing to uh, to hear. Yeah, yeah. And moving on to how things are sort of going going at the moment, you touched on it a little bit there. But you played in a struggling West Brom side. Well, at least when you arrived, it was it was struggling. I mean, as a team, you managed to get yourself out of that hole that was looking like your relegation was looming but you now now we're in a sort of difficult position in the Premier League uh, what are your thoughts on how the season and situation at the club is at, at the moment well it it doesn't look very good you know whatsoever you know we've I think we've done some some really good transfer dealings in the in the transfer January transfer market but I just think it's it's that that little bit too late you know I don't. I don't know. It's 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 a it's a difficult one. Everybody goes now on. It's football has changed so much, you know, over the last twenty years. You know, you've got people that telling you know the manager how long a player can play based on on data, you know, and 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 we never had data. We we were not as fit as these blokes. You know what I mean? That that are playing now. These these guys know exactly what they need to eat, what they get to eat. And, and, and are monitored, you know, day and night. So uh, the thing with us was you you won, you played again. You know, it, it was you keep the same team. And the more you were winning, the more you would keep the same team. And, and, and that was it. You know, I hear about um, schedules. We played, we played 60 games in a season. We played Boxing Day. We played the day after. If you won on Boxing Day, you played the next day. That was just... Yeah. You know, and, and we didn't have any any measurements of how fit you were, how fatigued you were. 
you know, you just went out there and, you know, if you couldn't go no more, the manager would, would realise that or you put your hand up and you put some somebody fresh on. So, you know, the now it's it's about, you know, rotating and, and but he utilised it. And, uh, it's it's sometimes a little bit disheartening to see how, how it, which way football is moving into, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's more and more starting to become a, a laptop sport where, you know, decisions are made based on, on data, you know, and whereas, whereas that is, is good as well, you know, you can't just take a player that's, that's run 16 kilometres in a game, you know, because my first thing would be, can he play football? You know, I'd rather have somebody that has an influence on the game and only runs three kilometres rather than somebody that ring, runs 16 kilometres and, you know, doesn't actually have an effect on the game. So um, I, I think a lot of people are probably starting to get a little bit more disillusioned with, with, with football. But, you know, if you look at our predicament and, and the way that teams in and around us have been, been going over the last couple of weeks, you've got to say that it's going to be, uh, be very, very difficult to get out of it. For me, you know, the Burnley game should have won. Uh, with 10 men, played a lot better. The next three games, four games, are vital. You know, they, they, they need, in the teams in and around us, they need to win. You know, there's nothing else is good. There is really no pressure because nobody expects us to stay up. Mm-hmm. So they might as well go out there, be on the front foot and, and you know, make sure that we keep a back four to defend well and, and go for it because we've got, we've got nothing to lose. Yeah, yeah, we cer- we certainly haven't. Uh, I mean, to to survive relegation would really be it'd be bigger than the great escape that happened in oh four oh five. Definitely, I think I think we're certainly further away than we were then. Um, what do you think's gone gone wrong really uh, this this season? And you know, there's been a few. You know, the managerial situation has changed. What do you think? And the transfer dealings, of course, have played a big part in in our situation. What do you think has gone wrong for for the Albion this season? Yeah, I think they they. They put a lot of faith in the the players that were uh, already there, you know, last year in in the championship. So we've spent an awful lot of money, you know, on uh, on players that were with us in in in, in the championship. So we we bought them. Uh, the Premier League force is a completely different uh, kettle of fish to to the championship, and then ultimately, you know, we we needed a striker, and uh, you know, we we spent eighteen million on a on a player that scored a lot of goals for, for Huddersfield. Um, and I have to say that, you know, at times I, I feel really sorry for him. I don't think, you know, the new manager has put a lot of uh, faith in him lately. You know, I've seen him play out on the wing at times. And, um, you know, that, that must be really, really difficult. Coming into a club that is going to struggle, playing up front on your own, getting the ball hoofed up to you every now and then, and then people expecting you to to do something with it and, and make chances on your own. And, uh, you know, I, I think that has been the biggest problem. You know, putting a lot of faith in players that were with us and good championship players. I think uh, they, they found the step up to the Premier League uh, quite hard, you know. And then in the January transfer window, it's the same, you know, with every club. Uh, everybody seems to wait until the end of it to to get three or four players in. I think the players that we brought in are of really good quality. Um, other play, other clubs probably didn't want to want to lose them. They wanted to wait till the end of the transfer window to see if they could get players in to replace them. You know that, that's unfortunately the way it works. I think if we had these players at the beginning of January to bed them in, 
think we might have had a, a little bit of a more positive scenario now. But you know, to wait till till you know the 31st of January, bring him in, bed him in because you can't just throw him in. So you're another one, two, three weeks away from then. You know, and then then you are almost adrift. You know, so uh, so yeah, very uh, very difficult scenario. You know, a lot of people put the onus on on the owner who uh, who's an absent owner. You know. Who, who wants to sell the club. So if he wants to sell the club, he's not going to invest the money that's needed to to, to stay in and bring the quality of players in to, uh, to stay up. So it's just a catalogue of things, you know, that, that the managers have had to deal with. Personally, I think Slaven, you know, probably should have should have had a little bit longer to, to turn it around. You know, things that must have gone on behind the scenes for them to, to make that decision. And, you know, the new manager's come in and he's got, a great reputation of keeping teams up. I think this might even be too big for him this year. This year. Yeah, yeah. I, I certainly think that he's got the biggest job on his hands. And if he does keep manage to keep us up, it will certainly be the biggest oh. saving saving achievement of his life, won't it? One hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. So, um, moving on to a bit of more of a positive note, uh, who have you enjoyed watching play for West Bromwich Albion over perhaps the past couple of seasons, maybe this season? Who, which player have you enjoyed enjoyed watching the most? Well, you know, I think the the obvious thing would be to say uh, Mateus Pereira. You know, he, he's a player that that's got something something special. You know, everybody is uh, is talking about him. You know, and and. You know, those are the sort of players that everybody looks for because you want to be entertained. Uh, Gallagher is, is somebody that I've, I've enjoyed watching. You know, he brings a lot of energy, uh, but also, you know, uh, certain qualities to the team. But then the two that have surprised me me most, who I've criticised in the past when I was on, on, on the radio and stuff. You know, I think Carl Bartley has, uh, has, has yeah. proved himself to be a re- real stalwart at the back. And, you know, as... Uh, has really made that position his own, you know, captain when, when Livermore isn't playing. But then you've got to say that the keeper, who, you know, everybody was very critical of, has mm-hmm. done unbelievable. You know, he, yeah. he, you know, people are now saying he, he might be, you know, on the brink of, of, you know, playing for England. And if they went down, you have to say that he's probably one of the first ones, you know, that, that will be, will be sold for, for a lot of money. So, uh, so yeah, you know, everybody, of course, we'll look at Pereira, but you know, for me, the two standout players this year uh, probably got to be Bartley, you know, and and definitely uh, Sam Johnson. Yeah, definitely, they both both really stepped it up. I think a lot of people complained about, as you said, Johnston and indeed Bartley last season, thinking they're not going to be good enough for the Premier League, but they they've really stepped up and proved themselves. But um, with you, Richard, what 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 sort of stuff are you up to now? I see I've seen you done a you did a bit of coaching and a bit of managing uh, after your retirement from football. But what sort of stuff are you up to now? I've uh, I've been uh, a PE PE and games teacher for the for the last ten years, so to speak, at a at a private school in uh, in Sutton Coalfield. So uh, you know, really enjoyable. You know, working with uh, with kids is is probably something that. I've always enjoyed, you know, the most, um, you know, building relationships and, and you know, improving their, their overall um, skill set, you know, to, to, mm-hmm. to give them a, a long and active life, you know, and hopefully stay active in, in sports as well. So, you know, that's something that I've enjoyed. And then, um, then I, uh, I stopped coaching. 
for about two years. In the beginning of the season, I was asked by Tamworth to take their under-18s on. And at the same time, my, uh, my, one of my uh, best friends, Matt Clark, he took over at Redditch and he, he, he said uh, he needed me to come and be his assistant there, which, which suits me, you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, so I've gone from just teaching to all of a sudden be out and about every day of the week again. Well, not lately, of course. Uh, and then I do, you know, uh, bits and pieces. The radio that hasn't that stopped now for since the last since March 2020. So I haven't done that for a year. That's something that I, I have really enjoyed. You know, with uh, WM with Rangsi and uh, and Rigo, that's always something that I've really uh, looked forward to. And it, and it gives you the confidence, you know, to to speak with people. Not that I'm a shy guy, but you know, in front of people, you know, in 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 company, in, in big company, you know, so, um, you know, I find that to be really, really uh, beneficial, but yeah, teaching is my, uh, my main job and, uh, you know, it's something that I've, uh, I've, I've enjoyed doing, you know, not remote learning. It's a, it's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more difficult. Uh, I think, you know, in lockdown one, I think everybody was going, Oh, this is one big long holiday. This is great. But by now the pupils and the staff and me included, we've just, you know, just had enough of it. You know, I can see people struggling with mental health. It's something that I've, I'm really interested in as well. You know, I've done some, uh, some courses, um, doing a course on, on counseling because I can see, you know, this being a problem, you know, for the future. And, you know, if I'm not able to teach anymore, it's probably something that I uh, would like to go into to still help. You know, young people, children, adolescents. You know, to to deal with day to day life. Because you know, even though this this might be over soon, you know, the the long term effects of, of this pandemic. You know, I don't think we've seen the end of that. So that is something that I'm I've, I'm interested in, and uh, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll work in. And you know, football is just it's just a side thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, with regards to people's well-being, hopefully this podcast, as uh, speaking to you, has has helped a lot of people. You know, bring a smile to their faces hearing hearing from you after your fantastic days at the Albion. But Richard, it's been a pleasure having you on the Baggies podcast this week. It's, it really has been an honour for me to speak to you. Thank you very much for coming on. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I hope that people are sick and tired of my voice after this. So that was Richard Sneaks on the Baggies podcast. Never did I think I'd be saying that. I had to go and get, as you could see behind me, I went and got my large signed picture of him to show him. Yeah, he's, yeah, but he's a lovely guy. And as, of course, he's expected a class act and obviously loves West Brom driving quite a lot. So it's a pleasure to have him on the podcast. Yeah, hopefully, you know, he might like to come on again. But yes, that was his thoughts on the current crop of players, his, his stories from his career. If you're new around here, make sure you're following and subscribing to the podcast because there's more of that, well, more that, more where that came from. Because honestly, there, there is, I promise you, there is more where that came from. But I'd like to thank you very much for listening to the podcast this week. It's been a pleasure having you. My longest episode yet, actually. But if you, but if you want to leave us a review, just simply on that podcast, on Apple Podcasts, you can drop us a review or leave us a comment on YouTube. Just do it. Just do it. It's fun. You know, boost, boost morale and all that. But yes, in this difficult time, it's fantastic to hear from Sneaksy. Hopefully it's cheered a lot of you up and you know got you thinking about more positive times ahead. However, that brings us to the end of episode 35 of the Baggies podcast featuring Albion legend and cult hero Richard Sneaks. Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next time. Goodbye, guys. See you later. Have a good week.